Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome my good friend, brother from the Collective Genius Mastermind, Eric Brewer. Hi, Eric. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So Eric hails from York, Pennsylvania. I guess not, not too far from Brooklyn, New York. I've been through your neck of the woods. It's kind yeah. of... Uh, it, it's your typical Pennsylvania, not Philly. This is more of a inland in Pennsylvania country. But before we do that, just let's just talk a little bit about you, your family. So just share a little bit about uh, you and your family. I'm married. Um, have been for about ten years to um, my wife Sonia. Um, we have five children. I have a son, Camden, who's uh, in his senior year at uh, high school. He actually goes to a preparatory uh, school in um, Northern Virginia, uh, Blue Ridge School for Boys. Um, he's an aspiring scholarship basketball and football athlete. And uh, then I have four daughters between the age of eight and soon to be two. And uh, my wife is currently pregnant, due in May with a boy, um, and we've chosen uh, the name of Eric Jr. She wanted to <laughs> celebrate uh, my husband or her husband, and and uh, thought highly enough of me to not only stay married to me, but give our uh, our youngest and should be last child my name. So um, we all live here in York, PA, and uh, very happy. So have a beautiful family. Congratulations. You have a beautiful family and God bless. Thank you. I <laughs> um, need the God bless part with four daughters. That's going to come in awful handy. Uh, I'm guessing right when they get to be about teenage years, I'm going to need a lot of those God blesses. Yeah, I know the drill. I have uh, four kids, three three girls oldest and uh, a boy and uh, already got one married. So wait. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a, it, it's, it's a, you know, girls are easier, but of course, uh, as a parent, um, so a little bit uh, more nervous, but you know you'll get through it. I'm sure. I'll be all right. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your business. So you have a famous Brewer Method. So what is Brewer Method? Yeah. Um, so Brewer Method. The, the reason I called it that was um, it's really Novations, and Novations have been around for a very long time. But the previous application of Novations was really a, a fix and flip strategy. So it required um, remodeling. It required, you know, um, a considerable amount of cash normally to fund the renovations. And then you effectively kind of partnered with the seller. Um, all of that stuff actually sounds very hard and confusing and um, not ideal to me. Renovations are difficult. Construction's difficult. Partners are difficult, let alone partnering with a homeowner. Um, I stumbled across Novations back in 2008 um, I was doing almost all retail fix and flip transactions. And in 2006, when I started 2007, my second year in business, um, every property that I would sell was to like a first time home buyer, you know, mid credit score, low down payment. They needed seller's help and all that good stuff. And um, 
none of those buyers used FHA financing in 2006 and seven. There was a plethora of loan products out there. Subprime mortgages were super popular. 80, 20 mortgages where you could buy a house with no money down and, you know, a 500 credit score. And then when the financial crisis took place, literally every buyer that was active at that point was using FHA financing. And for house flippers, FHA is difficult. They have a deed seasoning requirement where you have to hold the property for 90 days. That's disruptive, you know, to my cash conversion cycle. Um, they have, uh, particularly in 2008, 9, and 10, they had lender overlays where even though FHA said they would do the deal in 90 days, some banks might require six months. Um, a lot of underwriters just did not like flip houses because they got absolutely slaughtered with those foreclosures as the market started to unravel. Banks took their biggest financial loss on repossessed properties that were previously flipped, right? Because they were they were selling for the top of the market. And then as they were being repossessed, foreclosed and being sold um, as bank owned properties, they didn't demand a premium, right? They were only being bought by investors. So there was this massive spread between the legal collectible limit on the note and then what it actually sold for six months later after they repossessed it. So they became very um, hyper aware and, and very selective. So it was tough. So I started looking for a solution to this seasoning FHA crap. And that's where I discovered Novations. And luckily for me, for maybe the first time ever, the government did something in, in early 2008 that positively impacted my life. And they, they passed an FHA flip waiver. Congress put a spending bill together. They wanted to incentivize investors to buy up all this bad inventory. And they said, hey, we need investors to buy it. And if everybody's using FHA financing, these investors won't buy these because they can't sell them to FHA buyers. So they said, hey, that, that seasoning requirement, non-existent. So for two years, you could buy a bank-owned property. I was buying HUDs for 40 cents on the dollar, doing paint jobs and selling them to FHA buyers for big profits. And, um, you know, you had to do construction. You had to have access to capital, which was really difficult back then. And uh, in 2010 or 11, that flip waiver expired. And now I was back to the drawing board. And that's when I really started implementing Novations. So that's a little bit of the story about what it is and what it's not. Um, my version of, of Novations is a wholesale style transaction on a property that's generally in wholesale condition, being sold to a retail buyer on the open market or MLS. So that's the elevator speech version of what the brewer method is. Very cool. So let's dissect a little bit. Uh, yeah. So you're basically, you're buying the property from the homeowner in a whole, whole tail condition means what? It needs broom, carpet, paint, yeah, it's light like, innovation. It's, yeah. So I've, I've the, like the first couple dozen innovations I did, I went to public auctions and the public auction was generally like in a state, grandma's house, someone inherited the property and it had good bones. You know what I mean? When I say good bones, yeah. right. It's got good, me good mechanical features, but it was outdated. It had blue carpet. It had green kitchen cabinets, but it was, it was what I would say move in ready condition. Right. And those are the ideal properties in wholesale condition where it'll generally pass through an FHA appraisal, um, you know, a condition report, Home inspection is not going to reveal a bunch of safety issues. Um, so that's the type of property 
that this works well for. By the way, those are normally properties that when we make wholesale style offers on, the sellers aren't very receptive because the house is in okay condition, right? They're not super distressed and not willing to sell at a discount because the house is maybe in need of a little bit of, you know, lipstick or whatever you want to call it. But it's not, you know, it, it's not condemned. It's not, you know, fire damage. It's not a train wreck. It's in okay condition. Right, right. So it makes sense. So it, yeah. it, it, it is a carpet, carpet and paint job left over. It's not a heavy uh, renovations, no, not, no changes to HVAC, the roof, n- n- no big ticket items per se. No. So, and uh, you basically, what, you lock it up on the contract with the agreement to be able to remarket the property and you offer the homeowner better price that you would buy uh, as a wholesale, but... Correct, yeah. Yeah, like normally, if you think about the normal wholesale deal, most people average uh, 70% of ARV, 80% of ARV we've seen lately, minus renovations. Minus renovation, you can do what? You could offer them what? 90%? Ninety percent. Well, 90% of current condition retail value. So there is no subtraction for the renovations. You look at it and say, what would this sell for on the MLS to a retail buyer? If the property's value, say 250 or more, you can pay up to 85% of current condition retail value and still make $30,000 profit. Because even after commissions, on these type of properties, you might have to spend or give a credit of say $1,500 to $2,500 for repairs. They might say, hey, there's missing GFCIs in the bathroom, in the kitchen. We need to have that done in order for the FHA loan to get approved. That's punch list style stuff that you can have a handyman take care of for you. So you want to allocate, depending on the condition, maybe a couple bucks um, for inspection repairs that you could either pay for, or we often just give a credit at settlement and allow the buyer to do it on their own. And I assume you you obviously want a cooperating seller who will enter into the agreement, lets you, I guess they move out of the house, lets you bring the house to the condition, address some of these issues. Or well, no, can... so I don't know. We, we buy them from owner occupants. We're very transparent about the fact that, hey, Mike, the only way I can make this deal work is if you gave me permission to take it to the open market. And when I take it to the open market, there's going to be buyers that want to do inspections and appraisals and they may want me to fix some stuff after settlement. Um, and the only way I can do that is if you give me reasonable access to the property. Um, if I'm able to come up to that number that you're seeking, would you be willing to work on a few of those things with me? It's really just two things. So you need their permission up front that, hey, I'm going to show this property and you'll get pushback. They'll go, hey, man, I was hoping to avoid all that stuff. And it's like, OK, well, what if we only did it four days a week between, let's say, the hours of noon and 3 p.m.? And we would give you, I don't know, say 24 hours notice to give you a heads up that someone was coming to look at it. Would that be okay? Now, the only reason I need to do this, Mike, is because you wanted the additional $30,000 from our original offer that didn't require any of that. So if at any time you choose that this path doesn't work for you, we could always go back to the lower number. And they'll go, no, 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 no. I don't want to go with the lower number. I'll, I'll deal with a couple showings if you can get me that extra 30 grand. So I'm just curious. It makes total sense. You basically secured their right to remarket the property and you're creating a little bit of arbitrage. I'm just curious why folks just don't try to market themselves. Um, they don't want to. That's why they called us in the first place. 
Um, so I don't generally ask them like, Hey, I made $60,000 on this deal. Why didn't you just list it yourself? So I've never got it of course, you know, directly of course. from their mouth, but I, there's a couple of assumptions I can make. Number one, um, I think generally the value of real estate agents is drastically misunderstood. Real estate agents, uh, for the most part, protect their clients from every little problem, um, every possible appraisal issue. So they get all the way to settlement and they feel like they've done a, a great service to their seller, which they have, but the seller literally doesn't know about the, the 30 issues that popped up. So they see this big commission check to a real estate agent and they don't have any, they don't have anything to attach it to. They're not sure why they paid such a big commission. And I think that's a mistake on real estate agents part, but that's a whole different conversation. So a lot of times sellers will gladly sell an investor, a pro their perceived value of an investor versus a real estate agent is much, much different. They see us taking risk. They see us making investments in potential repairs and marketing. Um, they know that we're on the hook, right? If the appraisal, they're, they're, so they're, they're, they're sort of hedging their bets and they're saying, I'll, if you come up to this price, I'll allow you to go the rest of the way as long as you handle all of this other crap in exchange. So it's just a modified, you know, I would say value proposition from the wholesale offer, which is they get maximum convenience, minimum money. And this is now just sort of a hybrid program that says, hey, I want a little bit more than the minimum amount of money. I want, quite frankly, most of it. And then anything you get over and above that to me is, is entirely up to you. And I know you got to absorb commissions and you got to fight through appraisals and you may have to be on the hook for some repairs. If you take that risk, I'm fine letting you make whatever the perceived amount of money is over and above what you're giving me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Innovations has been a, a great idea. It kind of almost goes back. And I, I recollect, because uh, you went back historically to the days of 2008 crisis and after that, we financed a lot of short sale flips. We were um, kind of, it was, you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> Jason Medley was number one player yeah. in the country and we were number two. And uh, I can tell you during those days, the short sale flips, it works pretty similar. People locked up a contract with the, with the seller that gave them the right to remarket the property. And then they got short sale approval. Yeah. And they basically exercised uh, that. Uh, well, they actually took the title and they flipped the property. But yeah. it, it had its problems when the bank started putting up the flip restrictions. So the whole yeah. business dried up and died out. At, 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 I remember middle of 2011, when this whole flip funding almost went away because nobody yeah. could, could actually flip because of the bank restrictions. Right. Well, the concept makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Um, so, do you educate folks on this? Um, do you have a course uh, that? Yeah. So, I started, I actually presented on this for the first time, I think like four or five years ago at CG and got swarmed by about 150 people in the hallway. And uh, spent the next couple of weeks on some Zoom calls, helping people get the paperwork squared away. Because I had never, I didn't know it was that big of a deal. I just, uh, over time, as I, you know, 2008 happened and then 2010 happened. And then I, I pivoted and was doing some direct to seller because in the beginning of my business, I bought almost exclusively off the MLS. And I started to see that the lion's share of the leads that I get don't fit the wholesale offer. Like 90% of all the leads we pay for aren't going to accept a wholesale style offer. So I'd get like 10% of my leads. I would be able to monetize the other 90% I was throwing away. And as a, I grew up in the car business, in the car business, you literally try and maximize every single person that walks onto the lot, right? You, you ask them to buy a car. 
39 times and you, you put them on a less expensive car if you can't make the payments work. And then once they buy the car, you try and sell them a warranty and all that. The car business is phenomenal at extracting every last possible ounce of, of profit and value out of every customer, right? You got bad credit. Okay, we got a bad credit department. You can go over here and put $800 down and make weekly payments for the next two years, right? Like they're very good at that. And uh, so that was sort of my mentality. And it, it really bothered me that 90% of my leads, even though they wanted to sell, I didn't have a product to offer. Them. And so over time, as the, the financial crisis happened, the seasoning requirement kicks in. Now I start to go to these appointments and I'm seeing nice homes. I think what happened was there was once where I, I referred the deal out and the seller said, I'll take a hundred. And I was at 70. And I said, Hey, you really want to sell? And uh, they were from out of town, inherited the property, didn't know a realtor. I referred to them a realtor. He listed it for 150 and it sold in like two weeks. And I was like, well, hold on for a second. They told me they would take a hundred <laughs> and he sold it for 150, right? In its current condition, they gave up some seller's help and, you know, might've had to make a couple small repairs, but even still, maybe they walked away with 135. And I'm like, why, can't, why can't I get that? And then I said, well, what if I novated them and listed it with my same agent? Well, wow, that would have worked. They would have got their hundred. They wouldn't have had to deal with any repairs that might have popped up. My realtor's very happy. He's still getting the listing. So I tried it and it worked and I made a couple bucks and then I then I was off and running, right? Like it was like, now it's like every person that wouldn't accept my wholesale offer. I said, hey, it seems like your property might be a good foot for this program. Here's how it would work. I could give you more money. They said, yes. Then I started going to public auctions. I'd wait till every bidder walked away. The people said, no sale. We didn't meet reserve. I'd walk up, propose it to the attorney and the auctioneer and the seller that were all there. I carried a document around with me. It said, we can use your contract, but we got to add this novation language. And here's a couple documents that we'll need to sign if and when I find a retail buyer. And I started having luck with it. So after CG and 100 plus people swarming in the, the hallway, I realized I needed to put together in an organized fashion. And it made sense at that point, um, you know, to, to, to sell it um, as a course. So um, I do teach it. Um, it. It works like if you sign up, you get the full library of my documents, um, including scripts. I've built out a novation calculator that'll show you exactly how much you can pay for a novation um, based on the amount of profit you want to make. Um, I've recorded about 11 instructional videos that walks you from the start of a deal to the middle. How do I get it listed? How do I explain it to my title company? How do I explain it to my listing broker? Um, all of the compliance stuff. And then how do I get paid at settlement? Um, we do 12 weeks um, for every student um, of coaching calls um, where we focus on those same sort of 11 steps and videos um, that we have in our, our training platform. We do them live once a week. Um, and then we have about 60 minutes of coaching and then about 30 minutes of Q&A. Um, every person that signs up gets a two hour onboarding call. Uh, it's about one hour, a hundred percent focused on the pitch, the script, overcoming calming objections that might pop up when you start doing these. Then the second half of that onboarding call is an hour completely focused on operations, compliance, and legal. Um, oh, and then, uh, those coaching calls that, uh, we do each week, all of those have been recorded since I started doing them and you get access to all of the coaching calls we've ever done that you can go in and have your team watch them at any time. And then I've created a, a community on Facebook um, that only folks that are in the course get access to. So we have 350 plus members that I've talked to us to in about 
the last two and a half years that all have access to that private Facebook group. That's remarkable. Um, you you certainly got this method down to the nth degree, got everything documented, and uh, I'm sure it's an awesome educational program for um, anyone who wants to implement it and, and learning from the best. <laughs> so you're the go-to guy within the CG mastermind when it comes to innovation. So uh, that's absolutely, absolutely awesome. Let me ask you this question, and I'm just curious, uh, what have you seen lately and how innovation is impacted by rapidly rising interest rates? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, it was... they've already risen so much. So you probably have had experience proportional last year uh, because the prices are adjusting. So the, when the prices are probably correcting in the in the negative direction, um, how, how how is this working? Uh, if you you think a property is worth a hundred and the, the the seller wants um, eighty, and you approach them and say, okay, I'll give you eighty, and you try to put it in the market, and the market is just nervous. The rates are up. They're not well. Nobody's giving you a hundred k offer. I'm just curious how it works. Does innovation so, just so every every market's different? And my market, I'm still very much getting a hundred, and I'm getting it in two days, and I'm still getting multiple offers. The 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 one thing that there's a little bit different about these that's very important when you start doing innovations. When interest rates climbed, it pushed out what I'll call um, high high credit, reasonable down payment, conventional buyers, right? These are people that were active buyers. Who it opened the door for was mid to low credit, low down payment, FHA, VA buyers. And they had been- How, how is that possible? It opened up the, the the deals to lower credit, lower down payment. Right, here's why. In 2021, in the market that we were in, if you were a 610 credit score using FHA financing, had a $500 deposit and needed $10,000 seller's help, what were the chances you think of getting your offer accepted on a property that was listed on the MLS and had 25 offers? Nobody, because they had other buyers. So now that the other buyers have gone away, the door has been propped open, kicked open by the Fed when they raised interest rates that said, if you have low to mid credit score, low down payment FHA, you better hurry up and buy a house. Because most of the competition has gone away or they've they've drastically you know modified their offer criteria. They're not offering way over lists. They too might think that they can get a discount. They too may want to get a little bit of seller sell. So when you position your innovations, it's super, super important. And by the way, it's not just innovations. If you're a retail agent listening to this, if you're an investor listening to this, you have to make your inventory available to FHA, VA buyers that need a little bit of seller's help between three and 5%. They have to get a, a property inspection. They want, they need an appraisal. It's a contingency of their loan. If you can position your inventory in front of those people, you'll have in most markets, you'll have zero to very minimal problems moving your inventory. And that's what I'm experiencing here in Pennsylvania. That's very interesting. I, I didn't think about it this way, uh, but you just substituted lower, uh, higher quality buyer for lower quality buyer who still wants to, have, to buy a, a house. They just don't look as attractive on paper. Nonetheless, if they can still get their financing, uh, you as a seller don't really care whether you have a high credit buyer or a low credit buyer as long as they can actually close. That only matters when you're comparing two offers. When you have a conventional 
20% down Fannie Mae offer and an FHA 3% seller's help $500 deposit, you go, well, I'll go with the better one. When you have one offer, what are you comparing it to? Nothing. Yeah, comparing you're just it to keeping my house. Choice. Yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a well-kept secret. A lot of people don't talk about, but that's it, that the people that are still doing very well and uh, you know, moderately priced markets where they're at or around the median price and their property is at or around the median price and they're positioning it for FHA, VA um, qualified buyers, you're not going to have much problem now. So, but you know, when we were having 15 offers before I might see one or two, but you can only accept one anyway. So as long as it's a reasonable offer, that's going to go to settlement. We've been very spoiled by these multiple offers, bidding wars, but historically, you know, that that's just not sustainable. It doesn't, it doesn't normally work that way. Right. If, when I got in the business in 2006, if you could flip your house and go to settlement in six months, you were a God, right? If you got one good offer in the first 90 days, you were doing an awesome job. So this market that we've seen the last, you know, almost three years um, where there were multiple offers and paying over list price and waiving appraisals, that's not normal life. So, you know, when you're able to position your inventory and, and offer a little bit of seller's help. So maybe instead of listing it for hundred, you list it for 105 and you say right in the remarks, $5,000 seller's help, FHA, VA buyers welcome. You won't have much problems moving your inventory. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We're into a lot more normal market. And um, at the end of the day, all these properties are sold on payment. Uh, and if affordability is there, if the buyers have enough income to get an FHA loan, and at least that's a great part about uh, some of these programs. They, they don't require a lot of down payment and the government is in the business of helping folks uh, buy their first home or you know, a veteran or uh, doesn't require down payment or, yeah. or a very small one. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. How would folks get a hold of you if they have interest to, uh, to learn from you um, more about Brewer Method and uh, just in general, if you provide coaching uh, yeah, yeah, two best ways to to get in touch with me. Um, uh, the easiest probably is on Instagram. If you want to just follow me, um, you know, for a little bit, kind of get a feel for for you know, I give away and talk a lot about this um, on my social media every single day. Um, you can follow me at Eric underscore Brewer underscore Invest um, on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me. Um, I give away a lot of content and uh, sales and real estate. Um, tips and, and my experience um, on a daily basis on Instagram. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, the renovations course, you can go to brewermethod.com. Brewermethod.com. Appreciate your your sharing, your wisdom. Thank you kindly uh, for Appreciate coming on the podcast. And um, yeah, uh, good, good luck with the uh, <laughs> with Eric Jr. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's going to be cool. That's that's yeah. uh, it's an adventure. So. I'm ready. I love it. I'm, being a parent's one of my favorite things to do. So it might be my favorite. So, and I'm blessed with a beautiful oh, wife. I'm, I, I'm in agreement. That's uh, <laughs> the, the older we get, the more important it is. You you live for your kids. So you yeah. seeing success, uh, family success is the most important thing. Yeah. Thank you kindly, Eric, and uh, uh, the blessing to you and your family. Thanks, Big Mike. I'll see you, buddy. See you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.